0: what's up 11 a.m how you guys doing welcome to church you are here thanks for being here with us uh, my name is Brian I'm one of the pastors here if you are new welcome to our community I hope that uh, you can find a home here and we also want to welcome everybody with us online can we welcome them for being with us today yep yeah. So if you are on Facebook Live, uh, we're just uh, wanting to welcome you as part of our community. Uh, Hit the share button, share what's going on here with your friends. We'd love for as many people as possible to be able to join us online as well. So we are in week three of a series called Human Steeple. And uh, the idea of this series is that we're going to be talking about the, the time between the resurrection of Jesus and the day of Pentecost, which was the day that the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. And so it's a really important time because we're going to talk about the establishment of the church and what the church really is about. And I made a statement a couple weeks ago that the church in the Bible is the word ecclesia, which simply means a set-apart gathering of people. And that you can't actually go to church, you can only be the church. And that's what we want to do, is we want to be... The community of God in our city uh, not and it's not a building it's not a place that you go to you don't show up at church and then go home you actually take the church with you you are the church and this this makes a lot of sense in some ways uh, that we're going through this because uh, at the same time we're talking about building an expansion on our facility if you guys don't know anything about this we're talking about what's called the ACF next step and we think it's our next step as a church to expand our space as you can see we're beginning to run out of room in our services and and so uh, it's funny, this whole series is all about how this isn't the church. This is bricks, mortar, wood, paint. This is not the church. We are the church. And so, as much as we want to expand our space, continue to do ministry in our city, continue to make room for people, uh, your friends and mine, to come join us, at the same time, we know that, uh, that a building has no eternal value in and of itself. It's just a building. And really, God's call to us is to be His hands and feet, His representation uh, of Himself to the world around us. And so if you know anything about church, uh, churches and architecture in the church, you know that a lot of churches are built with steeples. Um, where there's many churches in our community and many communities with a steeple, and the steeple was designed to, uh, uh, to direct people's eyes towards heaven. So essentially, you're going to look across a skyline of a city, you're going to see the, some of the tallest things in the city are the steeples, and it was, the whole idea was that uh, you would direct people's eyes towards heaven when you see a steeple. you think of something greater, that there's a creator, there's something else out there. Uh, but what we're going to talk about through the series is that as beautiful as a church building or a steeple may be, I don't think those have the power to actually help people to see God. I mean, I've never driven by a church building and been like, that is an amazing building. There must be a God, right? No, actually, by meeting people, seeing people live out their life in Christ, that's when I start to think, oh, maybe there's something more. And we start to believe that there is a creator. There is something greater going on here. And and we we, we give authenticity uh, to the church when we live that way. So uh, once again, just to say, um, a building will not make a church. Churches make buildings, but a building will not make a church. Only if the people are operating as God's community will we continue to reach our city. And so that's the idea, the heart behind uh, this series. And uh, today we're going to tackle a pretty big piece of theology. So buckle up, get ready. A lot of times uh, things are very conversational in our messages. This week is going to feel a little bit like a seminary class. So uh, some of you are getting giddy and excited. Others of you are like, I picked the wrong week to go to church. But this is important stuff. This is important stuff because we need to know what we believe about God, don't we? Like, it's important that we understand the God that we worship. Like, you guys are taking time out of your week to come here, to sit down, to open the word, to worship. And it's important that we know, like, who is this God that we're interacting with, that we define him and understand him. But far too often we say, well, God's kind of hard to define, so let's not worry about it. And in fact, in our culture today, it's pretty popular just to believe in some kind of God, that there's some kind of deity, this thing out there somewhere, and you can believe in whatever you want to believe in, I'll believe in whatever I believe in, and and we're all just going to be fine. But the statements that we make as the church are divisive statements like this. There is only one God. There is one God. And we need to know who that God is. We need to understand Him and define Him. I was thinking about it like this this week. Let's say I was getting heart surgery this weekend, and you were like, hey, Brian, well, who's your surgeon? And I was like, well, I don't know. I, I just, I was on Craigslist, and I was searching, and I was like, so tires, lawnmowers, heart surgery. Okay, I'm going to call Dr. Bill, you know, and, and, and you're like, well, what, is he, what has he done? Has he got, you know, good history? Is he a successful heart surgeon? I don't know, I found him on Craigslist, I have no idea, you you would slap me silly, right? Because you'd be like, dude, you need to understand who's working on your body. How much bigger is it that we would put our eternity in the hands of some kind of God and and not know who he is? And so all the more reason for us to study and to wrestle these things out together and to be in community. And and just as a little commercial, by the way, if you haven't heard, uh, we launched something called The Pathway, and it happens every week upstairs during the 11 o'clock service, this service, and so, uh, basically, it's a it's a four week class to help you understand some basics of theology, some basics of how to read your Bible, and how to take step forward in your faith. Um, If you've been in the church forever and you feel like your faith is stagnant, like you're not going anywhere, that is the class for you. Uh, Maybe you came on Easter and you gave your life to Christ and you're just trying to figure out how to step forward. Let me just tell you, it is definitely a a first step for you to go up and be a part of that. It's four weeks. It's just a four-week commitment. You can jump in on any week and catch up. And so, uh, that's my commercial. Get upstairs to that. Um, Or you can go right now. I'd totally be cool with that. Like, if you want to leave and go up to the class, Pastor Stewart would love To see you. So, open up to Genesis chapter 1. That's where we're going to be today. We're going to talk about the Trinity today. We're going to talk about this idea that God is three and God is one. And and this is a key piece of what we believe, and it's a a key thing to understand so that we can understand who we are as people. Um, I really truly believe that as we understand God, we will then begin to understand ourselves. In the society that we live in today, I would say far too often people are trying to find God within themselves. Do you see this? People say things, well, just search within yourself. Well, I'll tell you, I've searched within myself, and I just find a mess. That's what I find within myself. Just a total wreck, a lot of confusion, a lot of issues, and that's what I find within me. But when we look to God, I think that that's when we start to understand who we are. And so it's so important to to know God and know who He is, so that we can know ourselves. And as we unpack this theology of the Trinity, what you need to know is that we hope to be really accurate today, but I probably won't be complete. Um, there, there ain't no way that you're going to walk out of here and be like, I got it figured out. I get it. God's three. God's one. I understand it completely. I mean, we're going to just touch the surface of this theology so that we can begin to understand God. And I would say that it's, that it's important because we were built in God's image. And this is Genesis 1. It says that in the beginning God created us. And later on it says that he created us in his image. And and that that word literally means, the the word that we use is is the imago dei in the Latin. The image of God. Now in my family, um, we have what's called a family resemblance. Do you have this in your family? Where where there's certain things that you notice about yourself or others do. And they'd say, well, I think that you look like your dad. Or you look like your mom. And now my wife says that I have what are called the cook lips. I don't know what that means. But apparently, uh, in the cook family, the boys have cook lips. So I can't define it. It, We all just look like we have lips to me. But apparently, they look different. And she says, yes, I can see it throughout your family. For her, I always tell her, she has the grout laugh. She has this laugh that if you know my wife, you can hear her from a mile away. Like she laughs with her whole body. And it's funny because her parents are not necessarily that way. But I spent some time with her grandma, and that woman can laugh. I mean, that lady, she just gets laughing, and, and, and it just it, it's, it takes up her whole existence when she laughs. And that's my wife. She's the same way. But we all have sort of this, this family resemblance that gets passed down through the generations. And, and I have a picture of me and my boy, actually. This was a picture a friend of mine took. This was at the Easter egg drop, and uh, he was kind of creeping on me. I didn't even know he took the picture, but he texted me later, and uh, he was like, I just had to send you this picture because it's a a beautiful picture of a a boy and his dad, and he said he doesn't really have a great relationship with his dad, and so he thought that was kind of a cool moment, and and I hadn't thought much about how we look alike, but I kind of see some family resemblance there in the profile, right? Uh, I love that kid, so anyway. We all have a bit of a family resemblance. There's something in us. And, and it's actually become really popular for us to study where we've come from. In fact, there's things like uh, Ancestry.com has become really popular and other websites so that you can look up your family history because there's something in us that knows, when I understand where I've come from, I'll be, I'll be able to know who I am, right? Like we know where, we, where we've come from, we're going to understand who we are. And, and you were actually created in the image of God. That you actually have God's fingerprint on you. And when you begin to understand the attributes of God, you'll begun, begin to understand who you were created to be and, and how to live your life. So we're going we're gonna to launch into this. I'm going to pray for us, though, because we need some prayer as we're digging in here. Jesus, thank you so much for the church. Father, we just know this is, uh, this is a big topic. And we are finite beings, and you are infinite. We are the created, and you are our creator. God, and so we just recognize who we are in comparison to who you are. So God, we ask that you would pour out some wisdom on us today, that maybe we could understand a small portion of your identity in a way that would change our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to be, and we're going to bounce around all over the place, so good luck keeping up. But uh, also, if you haven't downloaded the ACF Church app, all of our scriptures uh, are on there as well. So this word Trinity, um, if you want to look it up in your Bible, uh, you're not going to find it because it doesn't exist. It was actually a, a word that was coined by a guy named Tertullian about 200 AD, which is about 170 years after the death of Christ. Okay so and it was it was a term that was meant to explain this piece of doctrine that was understood for for years before then and now even today this idea that god is three and god is one right mind blown what does this mean? How do we get our heads wrapped around this? God is three. God is one. So the word Trinity was a created. It was just a word that they came up with to, de- to describe this doctrine. We see it throughout the Bible in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. We're going to talk about some of those scriptures right now. And the first question that we ask is, what is the nature of God? Who is He? And so in Genesis one, it says, in the beginning, God. This word God is the word Elohim which is the, it's a, it's a plural word, it's the plural of El, Elohim. So we have, in the beginning, God, this plural God, and then the word created. In the beginning, God created. The word created is a, it's actually a singular verb. So we have the, the buds of Trinity right here in the first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, this plural God created, singular, the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit, who we're going to talk about all next week, so don't miss next week because we're going to, it's going to get fun in here. It's going to be exciting. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So right there in the very beginning, first verse of the Bible, we see Trinity. We see the Father as willing creation. We see this, this very beginning, we see the Spirit hovering over the waters we see Trinity right there in the very beginning First Corinthians 8:6 yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom we are all uh, from whom all things are and for whom we exist in one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist So once again we have the Father is God, Jesus is God we, we see these these introductions of Trinity. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to do kind of art time with Brian. I'm going to draw this out as best as I can on this board. And and you can do this too. Grab your notes if you want to. Um, Draw a picture just to kind of describe this. But we're talking about God today. Just draw a circle in the middle with God in it. And by the way, I didn't come up with this diagram. This has been around for years. But I think it's a very easy way for us to describe what the Trinity is. And so if you want to write down the first fill in the blank is that God is three persons. He is three persons. He is the Father. Father. He is the Son. And He is the Holy Spirit. Okay? So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see plurality and unity. He is three he is one. So we start right off at the beginning. We see it in Genesis 1. Genesis 1:26, 1, we see that God talks about himself in plural terms. That He says that we let us make mankind in our image. Again, talking in plural terms. In the book of Isaiah, we see this, this moment of worship where the angels are crying out, holy, 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 uh, worthy, 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 in three speaking to this, this triune God in genesis 18 abraham has this moment with god it's called a a theophany this this appearance of god and it's this really interesting thing you should read it uh, where, where we have these three beings but then this singular god speaking to abraham how about the baptism of jesus do you know this this story where jesus he got baptized just like we get baptized and when he's baptized it says the the spirit of god descended on jesus like a dove Which is pretty cool and then the father speaks from heaven again pretty shocking this voice from heaven says this is my my son in whom I'm well pleased so this beautiful moment that Jesus is seen the spirit is seen and the father is seen together Matthew 28 Jesus gives what's called the Great Commission you guys know this where he says go into the world preaching the gospel the good news of the kingdom of God teaching people what I've commanded you baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit right so you've got this idea of Trinity coming from the lips of Jesus. Okay, so what we start off with is just simply this: God is three persons. He's the Father. He's the Son. He's the Holy Spirit. The next thing is that each person is fully God. Each person is fully God. You could draw it like this: is, is. It's a bad S. Is okay. So the Father is. Oh, I'm sorry. Not is not see i'm screwing you up already is not not these are the lines these are the is's is is there you go okay so you got the whole thing okay so the father is god the son is god the holy spirit is god okay so the Father is God that 's the first one, and this is not really a debated thing. Most people agree with this. This is not something that is highly debated first Corinthians eight six says yet for us, there is one God, the Father. so there it is. The Father is God now we don 't know exactly what the Father looks like we don 't have like a picture of him. When most people think of the Father, they think of you know like Gandalf or, you know, like uh, Father Christmas, or something like that. You think of this man of the white. We just don't know anything like that. We don't know what he appears as. We just know that the Father is God. The next one is this. This is more debated, debated, that the Son is God. The Son is God, okay? John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay? So there is the word. In the beginning was the word. And what you need to know about the word is the word is a way of speaking about Jesus. And we we read this verse two weeks ago. Remember this? John 1.14. It says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. So we talked about how that's what we're supposed to do. We're literally, the, the picture of God to people in our community we're supposed to live out the life of christ and and be his his like jesus with skin on we say that we are jesus to our community okay so that's what we're to do just like jesus was the embodiment of god to us okay so jesus is the word and he was there in the beginning which is important to know jesus wasn't created after after the fact he wasn't just born of the virgin and, you know, didn't exist before then, and then just, you know, there's Jesus. But before it's just, you know, Father and the Holy Spirit up there, you know, I, I sure hope we get to see Jesus someday. No, like, he's always been part of the Trinity. Once again, in the beginning was God. He's not a created being. He, he's not changing. He's not adding people to the Trinity, you know. It, it's just, he is that way from the very beginning. Hebrews 1, 3 says, He is the radiance of of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Isn't that beautiful? Like, if you want to know God, look to Jesus. If you're trying to, like, okay, Brian, we don't have a picture of the Father. What do I, what do I do? How do I see God? Look to Jesus you're going to begin to see who God is as you look at the look at Christ. It says and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's kind of cool, right? So you got the Father willing creation, then the Son is upholding the universe by his word. So who's the active agent in creation? Jesus is. Who's putting breath in your lungs right now? Jesus. Thank you Jesus, right? We keep breathing. We're still here. The earth isn't spinning off into the solar system somewhere. Like thank you Jesus for holding the universe together. He's literally the active agent in creation. Some religions believe that Jesus was some kind of angel or some kind of created being. He wasn't. He was fully God. 1 John five twenty. Jesus Christ, he is the true God in eternal life. So there it is. Jesus is God. Once again, this is what got him killed, isn't it? People deny that Jesus was God, but you got to just look at his, his, his life, look at who he was, and, and we say this a lot around Easter. Either Jesus was a lunatic or he was God, but you can't, you can't do both because he claimed to be God. Remember, he forgave sins. It's what got him killed. People were like, no, only God can forgive sins, and Jesus is like, bingo, I did it, right? I'm God. And so we see Jesus himself not rejecting the title of Messiah, but receiving it. Remember that? So Jesus is God. You got you to gotta deal with Jesus. If you're here today and you're new to the church and maybe you don't believe this stuff, he is the one you need to begin with. Like, what do you think of the historical person of Jesus? Who is he? Okay? So the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as the Father is, as the Son is. I didn't make like a smaller circle. It's the same. Jesus, The Holy Spirit is God. Second Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. freedom. Amen, right? Amen. Freedom. That's when, when you come into a place where the Spirit of God is, you feel freedom. And I was reading that this week and I'm like, maybe that's what's wrong with many churches today. Do you think people in general in our community come into churches and they just feel freedom? Like, there is freedom in this room, you know? I hear some laughing because you're like, that's not it, right? Most people have sort of a feeling about church that it's not freedom. It's like chains. It's like bondage, right? It's like, you know, people trying to work their way into God's good graces. So, no, I think maybe the church isn't alive because the Spirit hasn't been invited to work within that gathering of people. We're going to talk all about the Spirit next week. Uh, Again, come back. I'm going to make some Baptists uncomfortable. Any Baptists in the room? I'm a Baptist. I love you guys. I grew up Baptist, so I get it. Uh, We're going to poke fun at everybody next week. It's going to be great. So the Holy Spirit is, amen, fully God verse 18 and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the un- to the other the spirit is working and transforming us then it says it again for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit okay so the holy spirit is fully god there's another passage in the book of acts the story of ananias and sapphira and so ananias and sapphira they they are landowners And and God has called them to sell the land and donate it to the church. So that's God's call for them. What do they do? They sell the land and they keep some back for themselves. You know, it's like, Daddy needs a new Dodge, you know, diesel truck or whatever. It's like, I need some stuff for myself, so I'm going to hold on to a little bit, but I'm going to give a little bit to the church. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 3. But Peter says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. Verse 4. You have not lied to man, but to who? God. You've not lied to man, but to God. So the Spirit, when He speaks to you, that's God. It's not like your conscience. It's not Jiminy Cricket living inside of you. Like when you and me, when we reject what God is saying to us, okay, okay, when, when we're not obedient. And in this moment, they weren't obedient and they were struck dead. So read the story. It's kind of gruesome, right? It's like, man, it's, it's one of those moments you're like, really? They, 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 they gave a big donation. Yeah, but they were disobedient. And so this, in this moment, this was God's justice. And, and in God, all God's wisdom, they, they ended up being struck dead for their disobedience. So we see this, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And when he does, it is God speaking to us. when we reject him, when we don't listen to him, we do our own thing. Even if we partially obey, which we know this partial obedience is what? Disobedience, right? And so we partially obey God. That's us actually disobeying God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all scripture is God-breathed. We also read that Peter says uh, that, that the Holy Spirit spoke to men's hearts, and inspired the scripture. So once again, we keep reading this over and over again, that the Holy Spirit is fully God. You still with me? Still in this? It's going to make sense. It's going to matter here in just a few minutes, so we'll get there. The third thing is this. Write this down. Each person is distinct. So the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God, but they're not the same. Okay? The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not The Father, they are distinct. They function differently, but are of the same essence. They are all simultaneously and equally God, but they are distinct. They're different, okay? So over the the centuries, in effort to fix this dichotomy, this tension, that each of these are God, and yet they are distinct, there have been some, some kind of issues. People have tried to come up with ways of describing the Trinity, and none of them really work. The only reason I'm using this is because it doesn't really paint you into a corner. But others do, you know, like there's the egg illustration. Like, oh, he's like the egg. You know, there's the shell and the, the, the white part and the yellow part. It's like, no, no, that doesn't work. And it's like water, you know. He exists in, in a vapor and in a liquid form. And it can be ice, right? So it's kind of like, the, no, no, none of those work. And the reason they don't is because there's a heresy called modalism. And modalism is simply the belief that God operates in different modes, it's like God wears different masks, okay? That there's one God, but he just kind of once in a while, he's like, I'm putting on the Father hat today, and I'm going to will creation. I'm putting on the Son hat today, walking on water, right? I'm putting on the Holy Spirit hat today. People are speaking in tongues, right? Uh, what does it look like? But, he's, but we see that God is not that way. God does not operate in different modes. We see three distinct persons of God, and yet they all are different, distinct, Function differently, but of the same essence. Another issue, another uh, false theology would be polytheism. It would be this idea that there are many gods, okay? So God doesn't wear masks. Let's just say there's three gods there's a son, there's a father, there's a Holy Spirit. Maybe this fixes the issue, and it doesn't. It creates all kinds of issues. And there's a lot of religions that believe in polytheism. They believe that maybe you can be a god, they believe there's lots of gods. The son might be a god. The earth might be a God. Your burrito might be a God. Anything can be a God. There's gods everywhere. Just pick your own God, right? Choose your own adventure. Love those books when I was a kid. You just pick your own God. There's gods everywhere. Be a God if you want to. No, this is not the truth. There is one God. We're trying to describe him as best as we can today. Okay, so over the generations, people have come up with things called creeds, and creeds are simply ways that people have chosen to describe these pieces of theology. Uh, Some of you maybe grew up in in liturgical churches with lots of creeds and readings. Um, Creeds can be beautiful. Uh, We know what they are and we know what they're not. They're they're not scripture, but they can be succinct ways of describing this theology. There was a creed called the Athanasian Creed. uh, that that was another way of describing the idea of the Trinity. And so let's, I'm going to read this for us. It says this, We worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. Once again, they're not, it's not that God operates in different modes. It's not that he's three different gods. For the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is another. But the divinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. Okay. You got it? All right. Awesome. So we've got the basics of the Trinity, this idea God is three, God is one. Why does this matter, Brian? It matters for a lot of different reasons. First, once again, we got to know who we worship. It's kind of important. We got to know who whose hands we're putting our life into. That's kind of important. But once again, I think even deeper for us personally is that people are seeking for meaning within themselves. But when you begin to understand who God is, you begin to find yourself. You were never meant to find meaning within yourself. You were never meant to find meaning in your job or in your kids or in your bank account. None of those things were ever intended to give you a sense of purpose, a sense of meaning. Yet those are the things that give us the most anxiety, the most issues, the things that seem to drive how we feel about ourselves and about our life. Instead, we are meant to find meaning outside of ourselves. We are meant to go to God. He is the center of the universe, not us. And we're meant to understand him, worship him. And when we do, we we begin to find who we were created to be. And so as we look at this, we're going to see a few attributes of God that are going to relate really directly to us personally. First is this, that God is community, which means that the church was created for relationships. God is community. We as people are created for relationships, and a church that's alive is a church full of many relationships. And I would just ask you personally today, what do you do when you come and gather with the church? Are you the kind of person that leans into relationships? And I know it's awkward and uncomfortable, and it's kind of weird. We do the little meet and greet time, and, you know, you you might get a name. But for a lot of people, it's like hit the lobby and get out of here, right? Just get me home. I want lunch. I want my my recliner. I want a football game. Like, I just want to go home. And I get that. I get the value in that. But you need to understand that as, as one created in the image of God, with his fingerprint on you, that your life will be fullest in community. Because God is community. And he's always been community. And this is important, once again, to understand. Because another thing that we know about God is God is love. He's pure love. And love cannot exist apart from community. There needs to be people to love, others to love. And God has always been love because he has love within himself. He has always been community. And this is important to know because it answers a question. People ask sometimes, why did God create mankind? Why did he make us? And a lot of people say this. Well, he was lonely, you know? God needed a friend. So he's like, he made me, and I'm a terrible friend. But, you know, he made me anyway. I don't know. Like, why did God make us? He didn't need friends. He had community, right? God was always, always in community, in and of himself, right? So it wasn't that he created us for, uh, for community. He created us as an overflow of his love within himself. Just like in a, in a marriage, you know, let's say you came to me and you're like, Brian, uh, our marriage has fallen apart, and uh, you know what we're going to do to fix it? We're going to have a baby. <laughs> be like, yeah, that's a bad way to fix a marriage. Um, all the parents say amen, <laughs> right? That's not how you fix a relationship, um, you know? And so a, a child was into, is intended to, to be an overflow of your love for, for your spouse, right? So you have a marriage and a relationship, and then a baby comes, The baby doesn't make you a couple like you were already a couple. It's an overflow of who you are as a couple, right? And then you can love that kid for who they are. That's just just like us. God didn't need us. He's not some kind of needy deity that needs relationships outside of himself. He is fully fine and complete and has been for all of eternity and will be for all of eternity. He, He chose us, he created us, and he loves us as an overflow of the love that was already within himself. So as you look at yourself and you look at your life, you can see that you were created for relationships and for more than just kind of coming to this gathering and going home. You are created for more than just going to work and going home. Like you will come alive when you pour love out into other people. We see that Jesus has always been around. John 17, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Once again, just reaffirmation. Jesus has already been, always been part of this, this community, this Godhead. It's always existed. Okay, so if we were created for relationships, that means that the worst thing that we can do is isolate. The worst thing you can do is isolate. And I'll tell you, in the church, people isolate. They come to church and then they, or they come to this gathering and then they go home. But, but that's not how you were meant to grow. It's not how you were meant to read the Word of God. You were never meant to just study this alone. And I love that we have our Bibles. I love that we can study this at home. But you were meant to wrestle these truths out in community. A lot of times, people with the wackiest theology are very isolated. I'll be honest with you, because I meet a lot of people. And uh, there's a lot of theology out there. And the wackiest theology comes from people that don't lean into relationships. Because if you just read this in a vacuum, all in your own head, in your own home, you're going to come up with some interesting perspectives on the Word and who God is. We need people around us who will say, I don't know, I, I read it this way or, you know, as, as this applies to my life, it, it applies this way to kind of balance us out so that we can understand the scriptures. You were meant to be in community. You were meant to study it in a community. And I would say that as we study the church in our theology of the church, that a true theology of the church will always result in you leaning into community. There is kind of a trend in, in the church today where Christians are like, ah, I've matured to the point that I know that I can, I can go and you know, do church on the Kenai River. You know? I can go do church you know, in the mountains. And although you can have uh, a relationship with somebody else and enjoy them, and, and you can worship God in the mountains, and that's totally great, and I do that, there is nothing like what we have here in those places. Like even Jesus went to the temple. Like Jesus wasn't above gathering in community. He wasn't like, I'm so mature, I'm just gonna go do Christian as a lone ranger, Christianity as a lone ranger. No. Like he was gonna worship the Father in community, study the scriptures in community, just like we are to do. And that's a good reminder for me because summer's coming, folks, right? And we know we want to get out there and do stuff, and that's great, and we should. We should love and enjoy this place, but lean into community as well. And don't, don't run away from that. Next thing is this God is submissive. So the church is actively selfless. See how we're, we're learning things about ourselves from the Trinity? The, within the Trinity, we see mutual submission. John 8:28, Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. See, once again, Jesus claims this title as the Son of Man. And that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. So Jesus even says. I submit to the Father. Remember, when he came to earth, he was still fully God. There's a mistake people make. They're like, well, he gave up his, his divinity. He didn't give up his divinity when he came to earth. Jesus was still divine. He gave up his, his place in heaven and came to earth, Philippians 2, but he was still divine, okay? So Jesus was still fully God, but he says, I only do what the Father tells me to. So what you see is within the Trinity, there's no jealousy, fathers are not like man jesus is over there turning water into wine that seems like a blast I'm just over here, you know, doing my Father thing. I want to be Jesus today. Jesus isn't like, oh, the Holy Spirit. He's having a lot of fun with these people, right? I wish I could be the Holy Spirit today, speaking to people's hearts, you know, and, and causing conviction and illuminating the Word of God. I wish I could be the, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's not like, I wish I could be the Father today. I'm really worn out. Everybody's speaking in tongues, and I don't know what to do. Yeah, I, you know, there's not like this jealousy within the Trinity. The Trinity is fully unified. Everybody knows what they do and why they do it, and there's full submission to each other. So that means the church will look the most like God when we are mutually submissive. It's a fun word, isn't it? I'm going to keep saying submissive, just to make you uncomfortable. Because we hate the word submissive. Ephesians 5.21, well, married people, you like this verse. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? So there it is, right there, we are called to submit to one another, to give up our own desires and our own wants for the sake of other people. And and that's how people are going to see the hand of God. When you begin to put your needs below other people's needs, people are going to see that. And that's what the church was intended to be. That's the kind of place people want to be. That means that arrogance in the church are complete opposites. Like, Like, There's no room for arrogance within the church, just like there's no room for arrogance within the Holy Trinity. We were created to be mutually submissive, putting other people's needs above ourselves. Even Jesus, you know what Jesus did? He came to earth and he put his own personal needs below ours, right? To the point of going to the cross and being crucified for our sins. He submitted himself to us. Think about that, right? He submitted himself to us. God himself Put on flesh, went to the cross, died at the hands of sinners, so that he might save some. It's a good God. God is beautifully diverse. The church is equal but different. It's the last one. God is beautifully diverse. So the church is equal but different. Once again, each person has a has a different role, a different place. The Father, he didn't die on the cross for sinners. The Spirit didn't create the world. And the Father didn't appear above the, the early believers on the day of Pentecost. Like we've got different people with different roles. The Father chose us in him before the foundations of the world. That's Ephesians 1. The Spirit brings conviction and guidance through his word. That's John 16, 8. And the Son died for sinners as a sacrificial lamb. That's Hebrews 9. So we see each person of the Trinity has a different role to play, a different part to play. There's no jealousy. They're not fighting each other because they're different. They see beauty in their differences. And so the church should be equal but different. So within this room, I love that we've got this. We've got people from a lot of different backgrounds in this room. Racial backgrounds, uh, political backgrounds, sh- social backgrounds, economic backgrounds, church background. We've got people in this room who grew up Catholics, people who grew up Baptists, people who grew up without any faith at all. We've got people from all different places. Some of you are just loving Jesus right now. And this God, you're like, I know this God. And I just love talking about him because this is my God. Others of you are like, I don't know what I think about this God. Like, you're still on the fence about the whole thing. Maybe you like being here, part of this community, which I love that, that you would love to be here, but you're not bought in yet. So we've got this diverse community. And so when people look in at the church, they should see diversity. They should see people from different places, different backgrounds, all being exactly who God has called them to be. So what that means is you need to find out who God has created you to be. You need to stop trying to be the person next to you, or even trying to be that mentor that you had years ago, or, or trying to be you know, on stage or whatever, thinking like, well, I'm not making a difference if I'm not in the band playing guitar, or you know, if I'm not Brian up there preaching. I and mean, this is just a lie, this is a lie. You need to believe that God has given you specific gifts and a place in this church. And the church will come alive and people will, will be attracted to this community when they see, see God at work in our, in our hearts. It's so much bigger than any individual. This is a gathering of the saints all living out God's plan for us within community. I have, uh, I have three kids. You saw Grayson up there. I have two daughters as well. And I feel like it's my job, my call, that God has given me to help each one of the, them become exactly who God created them to be. So my kids are so different, right, parents? It's like, how do three kids grow up in the same house and end up being so different? But they do, and, and, and my two daughters, like, I want them to grow up to be the women that God has called them to be, to, to be strong, to know the word, to be convicted deeply of what they believe, and to live out their faith in their lives. I want my little boy to grow up to be a man, to be the man that God has called him to be, to know his identity in Christ, to be strong and convicted of all of those things. I don't want them to be, to be the same. I don't want them to be any, like anybody else. I want them to be exactly who God called them to be. And there's a problem within the church because people tend to look at other, other people's gifts and other people's abilities and say, I want to be that. You can't be that. You weren't created to be that. You can make a difference if you live out your calling right where you are. So what's this look like for us today? What does it look like to find our identity, uh, not within ourselves, but in Christ? And and what does it look like for you today to live this out? This is why we worship. So every time we get together as a gathering of the saints, we speak the word and then we, we spend a few minutes singing together. And the reason we do that is because worship puts everything in perspective. When we sing, when we honor this God that we're talking about, all of a sudden we realize our life is not the point, that he is the point. All of a sudden we understand a little bit more about ourselves. We place him in authority on our lives. That's what worship is. Worship is giving this God authority over your life, all of it, every bit of it. It's saying, I'm not God, you're God. I don't understand you, I don't get you, but I worship you. And so that's what we're going to do in just a minute. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe your life is just a total wreck. Maybe you've searched for meaning within yourself, and you're trying to find the answers within yourself, and you're like, I got no answers. I just got a mess. And maybe today's the day that you're like, I'm going to look to Christ to find meaning. I'm done trying to earn my worth, and today I'm going to receive my worth. Because your worth was never meant to be earned. It was meant to be given to you. And it was given by God. And you can see it as you look to Christ. You can see it as he dies for your sins, gives up everything for you and me. You can see your worth there. So once again, you weren't meant meant to earn it. You're meant to receive it. So today might be the day for you. You just say, I'm done trying to earn my worth apart from God. Today, I worship him. I place him first in my life because he created me. Let's pray together. God, you are so much bigger than words. Father, thank you that we can study and we can do our best to understand, but I am just grateful that you are a God that is beyond comprehension. That you're a God that we can't put into a book or into our hands a God that we can't sum up through our own words. God, I thank you that, God, that you're so much bigger than any of us can fathom. That's the kind of God we need, not a God that we can control. And so, God, today we submit ourselves to you. Uh, We receive our meaning and our purpose from you. Convict us, God, of the things that we have tried to derive our meaning and purpose from. And help us as we worship God to take those things off of the altar in our lives. And and God, to to just put you first. I pray we'd be able to worship you and honor you a little more freely today. And I pray for the person here today, maybe it's taking their first step in faith, to say, I know that there's not just some kind of God out there. There is one God, and his name is Jesus. So today we submit to you And we submit to each other out of reverence for you. We want to be a community that, God, that loves well and serves well, that is diverse but unified. God, we want to be the type of community that looks just like you. So show us each what we need to do to be that, God, and we ask that you receive our praises today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.